All right. Hey, everybody. Good to see you guys this morning. Welcome to New Life Church. We're going to make our way back to our seat as we get into the word for today. Let me invite you to open up your Bibles. It's going to be easy to find. It's the last book in the Bible. Anybody know what that is? Praise God. I'm done. I'm good. I can go home now. You know where it is. Uh, Yes, Revelation. We're going to be in chapter 2 today as we are continuing with our series of the seven letters to seven churches. Seven letters to seven churches, and uh, we've covered the first two. Uh, A couple of uh, weeks ago we started that, and uh, we really laid the groundwork in the beginning, the first one, um, and with an introduction to it and kind of laying the groundwork for this series. So if you missed that or kind of want to refresh your your mind about what this whole thing was kind of based on and and some really good background, go back to... Uh, that first one, you can go to our website, newlifechurchofjackson.org, go to the sermons, you can click on those, they're by date and title, uh, and you can uh, listen to those podcasts right there on your phone, computer, or whatever, and you can get some background to that. So, we're not going to be taking every week to go back to the introduction of this, in case you missed it, that's why we publicize that on our website for you. But we're going to be in chapter 2 today, we've covered the first two churches, Ephesus and Smyrna. And we're going to cover, attempt to cover two today, uh, the church at Pergamum and the church at Thyatira, or Thyatira, however you would like to say that, depending on where you're from, uh, or the correct pronunciation. And, uh, but anyway, well, let's, let's look at a few verses to start this thing out today. Chapter 2 of Revelation, verse 12. <clears throat> I'll be reading today from the New Living Translation. Again, Jesus speaking to John, the apostle, to write this letter down. And then he penned seven letters to seven churches. At that time, the province of Asia, which is now modern-day Turkey. And he writes it not from the comfort of his living room or a hotel, but from an island called Patmos, which means my killing. And he's writing it from a, a place where he's very lonely and disregarded from society. And Jesus shows up. And he writes what he sees and hears. So, short snippet of the background to this. Verse 12. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. He says, I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne. Aren't you glad you don't live there? Yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. Verse 14, the beginning of that says, But I have a few complaints against you, the Lord says. It says, You tolerate or you compromise some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam. And we'll go into the meaning of all this here shortly. Jump down to verse 18. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Beginning of verse 20. But I have this complaint against you. And he goes on to talk about what he's doing, that the church is doing. You are permitting 
that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. And then jump down to verse 29, as these letters all end in a similar state. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, if we just read it like that, sometimes that can just sound real discouraging. But at the same time, if we can hear what you are trying to say, it can be life-changing. And that is what you want. You want to lift us and build us and change our life. You have a purpose and you have a plan for us, for each one of us in our own households. So we give you this time right now, Lord, and we just really tune ourselves in. We want to hear really what you are saying. Speak to our, our hearts. Speak directly into our lives. Help us, Lord, as a church body to follow you and to flow with you. And I ask that you'd help me now to deliver this word in a way that would bring you honor and would help your people, I pray. And all can say amen and amen. So the thing about these two particular churches is why we're covering two of them is there are some common similarities, some common connections between the two. They're, they're, they're both church, they're a church of compromise and a church of of tolerance. And the thing about that is compromise and tolerance is not a bad thing if you're looking and talking about the context of just relationships. Uh, in relationships, we have to compromise with one another, uh, and we have to tolerate some things in one another because we are called to love one another. And I'm not talking about bad, evil things. I'm just talking about in general, when the context of a relationship, a marriage, a husband and wife, a, a family with children, etc., a working relationship, what have you, uh, we, we can compromise a little bit, and, and we, can, we don't have to be so bent on our way that we can't give in to the way of our significant other, so to speak, because we want them to feel important and valued as well. Or we can, we can also tolerate some things. If your spouse snores, you tolerate them. You, you don't divorce because they snore, right? If that's on your radar, we really need to talk, okay? Or if you're, you, you, you got a friend that chews ice all the time, you tolerate that ice chewing because you love that friend of yours. Or if they, or if they, or if they, they, they chew gum and they smack. Yeah. You probably will say, can you not smack when I'm around at least? Smack all you want in your own place, but... But there are things, you get what I'm saying, you get what I'm after here, but in the context here of the way God looks at us, surely the Bible teaches us that His ways are higher than ours, and His thoughts are greater than ours. And if that's the case, and, it, and we've been singing about this this morning, and it's referenced throughout the scriptures that he is alpha and he is omega he is beginning and end. he's first and last because if god himself who created us knows all of the ends from the beginning he knows what to do with us in the middle all right therefore we are the ones to are that are called to go his way he doesn't bend to 
our way because his ways are perfect. They're perfect. But the churches here, Pergamum and Thyatira, were or a compromising and a tolerating church. The, the church at Pergamum was conforming to the ways and the patterns of the world. They were conforming to the world. In fact, they, the, the name Pergamum means city of elevation. Instead of being a city that stood out, they were being a city that hid within. And Jesus talked about that. We are a light on a hill. We shouldn't hide it. We're to uncover it and to be showing the way, the truth. And the life, amen. And here's the thing: some people that that particular city, Pergamum, they were famous for the invention and the manufacturing of parchment, which is what the original things were written on. Original scriptures were written down on what's called parchment. It was called. He references there that Satan's city because it was full of error and it was wicked and. They were being extremely, extremely cruel to Christians. And Thyatira was, uh, was a tolerating church because, in a sense, they, they tolerated some things to go on in the life of the church with the people and what was being taught that should not have happened. Things that were not good, things that were not holy, things that were not calling people to a life of, of being set apart for God. And living for him. In fact, Thyatira was the smallest of all the seven cities of, a, of these seven churches. Thyatira was the smallest of the seven cities, but yet it got the longest letter written to them. Eleven verses. The others were s- smaller than that in size of the letters. They, people there in Thyatira made their living by, by, um, by the art of dyeing things purple rugs and linens and things like that. In fact, you can read about one particular person in Acts 16, Lydia. She was a convert of Paul. Uh, She was visiting, she was in Philippi at the time, and where Paul was on one of his journeys, and uh, they were gathered down by the riverside to pray, and, uh, and, and she shows up, and Paul talks to her, and she becomes converted, and it talks about her being from this area of Thyatira. And, but, the, but the thing about the church, as it's called to show the way, live the truth, be the light, they were conforming in Pergamum. They were tolerating in Thyatira. And an interesting, look, at, look at back at verse 12 here in Revelation 2. He said, Jesus is saying to to John as he writes it, this is the message, this message is from the one with the sharp two-edged sword, and sharp two-edged sword. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 tells us that God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to cut or divide between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. In other words, God's word, once it gets inside of a person, is able to work itself out for good. God's word getting on the inside of the, of the human heart brings what is called transformation. Transformation. And Paul talks a, a little bit about this. We're going to look at this in Romans chapter 12. And we also will have this on, on our screen to follow as well. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Paul says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. 
let your bodies be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, or don't conform to the patterns of this world, but let God, what? Transform you into a new person. By changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, which is pleasing, and which is perfect. Compromise. Paul says, don't compromise. Jesus wrote to the church in Pergamum that applies to us today. Don't compromise. In other words, don't conform your life to the patterns of this world. Paul said, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but rather be transformed. Be transformed. The word transformed that Paul uses is a word in the Greek called metamorphomai, which means to change from one state to another, which is where we get our word metamorphosis which means a profound change from one stage to the next. Caterpillar to the butterfly, right? Caterpillar to the butterfly. For the caterpillar changes one state and becomes a completely different state as a form of a butterfly. But it goes first from caterpillar to pupa to then the butterfly. That pupa stage is what is called the transformation stage. Okay? That is the transformation stage. That is where the, the caterpillar becomes immobile and nothing is, doesn't look like much is happening. It just is stationary, but it's in that place of stationary that the caterpillar is being changed, transformed into another state in the description, the definition, profound change. In other words, there is a distinctive change that it no longer looks like a butterfly because it's not, I mean, excuse me, a caterpillar because it's not a caterpillar. It is a butterfly. What is that all about? That, friends, is the place of faith where God does his best work in that transformation stage. From one thing to the next thing. In fact, Paul talks about this to the Corinthians. And he says that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Brand new person. That you know we are called to be different. As believers in Christ. We're not, we don't pray to him just so he can pay our bills. We don't do all that just so he can you know, supply some food and water for us. No, we, 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 we look to him because he saves our souls, and in saving our souls, he changes who we are. That we become different and brand new, completely changed. And that's the process of time that change takes place in our life. But it's in that place of faith where God does his best work, but it also feels in that place where it, you, you may feel like, man, I'm not moving, I'm not growing, I'm not changing, nothing is happening. I just feel kind of just kind of here, and I'm kind of wondering, what is, is God up to? I don't feel any real forward traction going on, but it's where God works some stuff 
out on the inside of us. If you want to go from one stage to the next stage, we have to be willing to go through the transformation phase. But here's the thing, if we leave that phase too soon, we will forfeit flying as a butterfly. We'll never know what it was like to really become what God intended us to be in the next phase or stage or season, whatever you want to put there. In this place... That place, friends, can be a very challenging place because here's the thing. God will always put us in a place of transformation phase, but we don't always stay there long enough for him to develop what he wants. Because after all, we know, what, we know everything, don't we? I mean, we, we know everything. We, we know what God's trying to do. No, we don't. We don't always know what God's trying to do. We don't always know what he's up to. And, and man, I, I, I'm the kind of a person that's wired. I like to know what's going to happen. Because then I feel like, man, I can, I can take the driver's seat. But he doesn't always let us in on what he's doing. Which is why we have to learn to stay immobile in that transformation phase so that he can do some stuff inside of us. Is there anybody here whose life is just perfect? Is there anybody here whose relationships are just awesome, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year? Is there anyone in here that you never get flustered or frustrated with other people? Is there anybody in here that you just, everybody, uh, that no matter what anybody says or what anybody does, no one can ever get on your nerves? Is there, anyone, is, is there anyone in here who does not have an absolute need of any kind? That means that God is still working on us. But what was happening? The church at Pergamum stopped letting God work on them from the inside out. And friends, that place of letting God work on us can usually look dark. It can look dim. It can, be, it can look and feel underdeveloped and incomplete because that is the way we see things. But God sees these things in a fully developed image of what he's trying to make us to become. God knows exactly the kind of person he's trying to make you become. God knows exactly what he wants to work out in this situation of your life. But we've got to let him have full control and full access into us so that he can work it out. But what tends to happen in a lot of places in a lot of people's lives is we look to the world and we start to mirror and imitate what we see out there let me just say this there are a lot of christians i get i get to be around and there are some who i just want to be like because they love jesus they are so kind they are so patient they are so loving they, the way they treat and the way they talk and the way they interact makes me want to love Jesus more. Are you around any Christians that make you like that? We should be. Because that's imitation of what is righteousness. But oftentimes the church is guilty of looking to the world 
looking for a pattern to follow after, looking for a model to go along with, looking for some footprints, if you will, to walk in because we think that's cooler. We think that's dope. For the white folks, we think that's really awesome. And we look to we look to media. We we look we you name media, and it's the umbrella of all things out there in our day and time now. And we look to so much because we just want to fit in, and we just want happiness, and we want contentment, and all of these things. But none of us we don't all like to just kind of like wait it out and let God do something in us. Let God change that desire into a holier desire. Let God change that that attraction into a, a holy attraction. See, the only way those things happen is letting God work it out inside of us. To take jealousy and take it away, and instead of jealousy, put compassion and love and patience and appreciation and thanksgiving for all the other things God gets instead of being jealous over somebody else and what they have or they don't have. It's letting God fully transform us. This reminds me of a story in, in the Old Testament. Stories, you can find it in 1 Samuel 22, and we're going to look at a verse here in a minute, but 1 Samuel 22. There's this story about David who had been anointed to be the next king of Israel, but before he's the next king of Israel, Saul is chasing him to try to kill him, the current king, and remove him. And David's on the run. And then David finds himself in a place called, in a cave called Adullam. If you've been around the block a few times, that, that, that whole story has been preached on a whole lot of times. But I found this one verse in there this week that just really, you ever read something in, in, in the scripture and it just seems to like almost leap off the page and like, all right, God, you're trying to talk to me. What you saying, right? And I found this one verse because waiting on God and l trusting God to work in fashion and form and bring some change to us because sometimes we don't like ourselves, do we? There's some, some stuff about us that we get on our own nerves. We don't even have to think about everybody else sometimes. We just look in the mirror and we're like, I don't like you. <laughs> right? And if you never get that way, we've got to pray for you because I don't think you're real. <laughs> you're still trying to pretend. And David finds himself in this cave. And here's, here's what, what happens. David goes to this cave. He's hiding out, trying to buy some time and trying to figure out what God's up to. And you know who the people who gravitate to David? Said people who were broke, people who were in debt, people who were in trouble, people who were discontented with life. Up to about 400 people joined David in that cave. Not people who were upbeat, People who had lots of money, people who had no trouble, people who just enjoyed life. It wasn't those kind of people hanging out with David. It was, kind of, it was the same kind of people that David was, the same kind of person. David was in trouble, David was in debt, David was discontent with life. But God had called him and anointed him and picked him over his other brothers to be the next king of Israel. 
David killed the giant Goliath in front of everybody, and people were singing the song about David. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. I mean, the people loved David, but here David found himself in a dark, dim, isolated place, the transformational phase. And here's what verse leapt out of that, off of that page. Verse 3. David went to Mizpah in Moab and he asked the king, please allow my father and mother to live here with you, and here it is, until I know what God is going to do for me. Did you catch it? Let my parents live with you until, no time frame, no way of knowing how long it's going to be, until I know what God is going to do for me. Verse 4, so David's parents stayed there during the entire time David was living in his stronghold, in that cave, in that transformation phase. How many of us are willing to pray that kind of prayer until I know what you want to do for me and in me, I'm not going to do anything. That was awkward, wasn't it? But take that, maybe 15 seconds of silence. Multiply it by a whole lot. That's what David was feeling. God, I'm, I'm supposed to be king. You flipping anointed me in front of everybody? I just killed and crushed and demolished a giant, a champion. And here I am hiding out in a cave with everybody that don't like a lot of things in life. They're in trouble, and they're broke, and they're discontent. And there they are looking to me, wanting to hang out with me. And I'm supposed to be a king. And here I am leading cavemen. God, I don't like what place I'm at right now. I don't like all the stuff that's going on right now. But I'm going to stay here until I know what you're going to do. Friends, may I say that that is a sign of spiritual maturity when we can just stay put in a place that we don't really get and understand or even like sometimes, but we're willing to stay to let God prove himself to us. That's where David was, sitting in the in-between of who he used to be, caterpillar, who he's called to be, butterfly, who he used to be, gopher boy, who he's called to be, king, sitting in this dark cave 
staring at people just like him. Wondering, when, what are you up to, God? (laughs) This is the place where we begin to know God's will, a.k.a. His purpose for us in the here and now and in the next season of life. When we are willing to just stay And let God work stuff out in us. Because God knows the truth about us. We got some stuff in us that we need to just let Him work out in us. That's why we run up against friction. Because there's stuff in us that that does not please God. And He wants to work stuff out out in us but he only works it out when we're willing to be in that transformation phase friend there are stuff i am thankful believe me i am thankful about this campus but there is stuff that goes on in this old building i don't like i i I mean we're we're next year we'll be new life church will be five years old we're gonna have a five-year-old birthday party next year y'all know what five-year-old birthday parties look like right lots of candy Lots of commotion, lots of running around, and lots of fun. But we've had to clean up about eight bursted pipes in the last six months. Not because we're responsible for it, but because it happens when we're here. (laughs) Thankfully, the owners pay for it, but we... Spend two to three hours on average cleaning it up. I just had one last Sunday morning. I don't know if you knew that. There were folks here. One of our older older folks here, Brother Charles, was showing out and cleaning up a broken pipe mess. James and some other folks who, who got here. We had one on Friday. We had one this yeah, th- two days ago Friday. The plumber has been here and done tons of work. Believe me, we're not ignoring anything or not having the landowners do anything. It just, something happens, and we're here, and we clean it up. And all this, and I'm like, God, you didn't call me to be no politician. (laughs) Wet vac sucker, and whatever else in between. But I'm going to stay here. Till I know what you're going to do with this church. If the stable was good enough for the baby Jesus to be born in, then this 1950s building is good enough for us to have church in. We're going to take care of it like it's our own. We're going to treat it like we're going to set up every week like it's our own. There's going to come a day. Let me get to that. That's going to be the good day right here. Let me get it. Because then look on down to verse 5. I've got to preach this part right here because this, this can't be left out. Because David said, until I know what you're going to do, then he said, I'm willing to stay there. And here's verse 5. One day, the prophet told David, it's time to leave that stronghold. Did you catch that? One day. 
David goes into this thing. I'm going to stay here as long. I'm going to stay in this place. I'm going to stay in this phase. I'm going to stay in this cave. I'm going to stay in this marriage. I'm going to stay in this relationship. I'm going to stay at this job. I'm going to stay at this church. I'm going to stay in this thing as long as I need to until you show me what you're doing. One day it came. One day the prophet came and said, David, it's time to leave. Friends, one day's coming to you. One day is coming to you. One day's coming to you when the Lord will say, Now is the time to move forward. Now is the time to do this. Now is the time to go here. Now is the time to make this happen. Until then, though, are we willing to just stay where the Lord is? Has us. And I'm not just talking about the referencing of our proximity as a church body. I'm talking about the proximity of our spirit formation in Christ. Are we willing to let God really have his way to work some things out on the inside of us? Because that one day won't come to move on out of that stronghold until we're willing to stay until we know what God is going to do. Amen. Amen. Because one day is coming. One day is coming. As a church, one day is coming. We have been told by the Lord, one day is coming. I will provide for you a place you did not build. I will provide for you a premium location and a premium facility. And friends, I got to tell you, sometimes staring at those promises gets real old when ain't nothing happening. When you got broken pipes and water messes and this and that and the other happening. And setting up and tearing down and setting up and tearing down and setting up and tearing down and setting up and tearing down, as the Davises know this morning, there on third Sunday. See, a lot of natural things you and I are engaged in are a sign of some spiritual things God's working out inside of us. I think God told, said something about that in Corinthians. First comes the natural, then the supernatural. A lot of natural things, a lot of natural agony and friction and pain and suffering and issues and uncomfortability and discomfort and all of these things are signs of inward workings, inward groanings that our spirit longs for change. Our life longs for new, for fresh, for real, for transformation. Anybody still with me? I still got to preach thighs here, and it's 11.49. To the church at Pergamum, don't think you can compromise by conforming to the world's pattern and still know God's will for your life. Because it, it becomes fuzzy and blurry. When we live a life that we think we can conform to the pattern of this world and still know what God's up to in us, we are missing the mark. You won't know God's will. You won't know his purpose. You'll live lost. You'll live aimless. God says to the church at Pergamum, just like he says to us today, let me work on you from the inside out, and I'll bring the right things out of you and to you and for you.
says to the church at Thyatira, I have, I'm writing this, and he says in verse 18 in Revelation 2, I have eyes like flames of fire and feet like polished bronze. Think about that. To the church at Pergam, he says, I have the two-edged sword. I'm able to work in you, able to bring out the best in you. To the church at Thyatira, he said, I am bright, I am intense, I am shiny. I want you to see me. I want you to notice me, and I want you to love me, and I want you to look to me. That's what Jesus wants. He, he has so put himself out there for us, for the world, to see him and to notice him and to long for him and to love him. Jesus sees us, but church, do we always see him? Or like the church in Thyatira. They were guilty of tolerating things that they shouldn't have. And what they were doing, they were looking to the allure of the world to bring about contentment and happiness and fulfillment in their life. But what Jesus was after and what, he's, what he tells them and what he tells us it said, don't look to the world. I want you to look to me. And I want you to see me. I want you to know who I am. Because I am the only one who can satisfy your longing. I am the only one who can do that. And he goes on and he tells this church in Thyatira. Down about verse 24. Look at that. He said, I have a message for the rest of you who have not followed the false teaching, who have not tolerated. So I'm, gonna, I'm not asking anything else of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. And he goes on to tell them, to those who are victorious and obey me, I will give authority. In verse 28, he said that you will have a authority, the same authority I received from my Father, I give to you. What's he saying? To those who live to look at Jesus and to know Jesus, you will have present in your life what is called spiritual authority or power. Spiritual power. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 16. He has his disciples around him. Everybody's still with me? Because I don't want to waste my time on this last one if I need to just like cut it off. All right. So, um, He's having this conversation with his disciples, and he asks them, hey, who do all the people out there say I am? Remember that, kind of that story? And they were saying, oh, well, let me think, you know, some, I heard somebody the other day saying that they reminded you of Elijah. Some were like Jeremiah, John the Baptist, they remind, you remind them of John the Baptist, and, uh, or one of those other prophets. He goes, all right, all right, but what about you? Who, who do you personally say I am? And Peter you know, Peter, he always has something to say. And Peter says, well, really? You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus was taken back. He's like, whoa, that is exactly who I am. And he said, I know no person told you, but the revelation came to you by my Father in heaven. And upon that revelation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. That I, Jesus, am that rock. I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter, looking 
to Jesus and knowing who he is. And here's what Jesus goes on to tell him. Look at this in verse 19. It'll be on the screen. He says, I will give you, this is Matthew 16, 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Or whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What is Jesus getting at? Peter, because you have this revelation and you look to me for who I am as the son of the living God, the supreme savior of the world, there's no other savior coming, there's no other Messiah coming, there's no other one who was, who was come to do what I have called to do. You get that, you look to that, you know that. I'm giving you spiritual authority. I'm giving you keys of the kingdom. But to hold these keys of the kingdom, one must first look to Jesus for who he is. Not just some prophet or just someone of days of old, but to look to him as Savior, the true Savior, the true Son of God, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end, to see Jesus for who he is, not just some person who walked the face of the earth and who did some good deeds and who was some ki kind to some poor people and who happened to just heal some sick people and raise up a dead person. No, he says the one who who went to the cross, who went to the grave, and who came out of death, hell in the grave, holding keys in his hand and letting the world know, I once was dead, but I am alive. There has another, been another one before me, and there will not be another one after me. When you see and you know that Jesus is Jesus, the name above all names, the one at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. When you know that he has cure for sickness, when he has cure for sin, when he has cure for brokenness, when he has cure for whatever aches our heart in our life in this sin-sick world, and you know him as Jesus, Jesus, not your best friend, not your genie in a lamp, but Jesus who calls you to walk holy, who calls you to walk devoted, who calls you to walk upright, who calls you to walk in truth, who calls you to walk in love, Jesus. He says, I I'm giving you the keys to my house. Whatever you bind on earth, it's done. Whatever you loose on earth, it's done. Now, you don't just give your house keys to anybody. You only give them to the one or the ones that you have 110% trust in. Because you know, the ones you give your house key to ain't going to walk in on you when you're in your underwear. And they're not going to come in and just help themselves when you're gone out of town. If we want to operate in true spiritual authority and have the keys of the kingdom in our hands, we have to trust the key master. Because he don't just hand out keys to anybody. He gives keys to those whom he trusts. And how does he know he can trust? When you look to him with your life. And you trust him 
for all things in your soul. To the church at Thyatira, he tells them, hold tightly to what you have. Don't relinquish your spiritual authority, your spiritual power. To the modern day Christian, he says, don't look to the allure of this world to bring you happiness, contentment, or fulfillment. Look to me. I have eyes like flames of fire and my feet are shiny bronze. I want you to see me. I want you to know me. I want you to look to me. I want you to trust me. And you'll get keys. Spiritual authority. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Did you know, I think someone mentioned this earlier in the service, that we have spiritual power to function and operate in as a believer in Christ Jesus. You can literally, Jesus talked about this, you can lay hands on the sick, he says, and they will recover. Anybody sick today? Anybody, anybody have a physical ailment going on in your body right now? Raise your hands. All right. Can you stand? I want to pray for you. I'm not going to knock you down. <laughs> All right. Look, wow, there's a lot of people. Now more people are standing. All right, now more people are standing. Good, good. If you're able, just lift your hands to heaven. Church, let's pray. Jesus, you tell us whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. And we know there is no sickness, no physical hurt in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth is loose from heaven. Heaven has all our answers. So right now, all of these who are standing, needing physical touch, right now, by the power of the name of Jesus, I say, touch these lives. Heal them. Fix what's wrong. Correct what's out of whack. Lord, the stuff we can't see, doctors can't figure out, our lives needing your help right now. In Jesus' name, we loose healing and wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. Come on, let's thank him for that. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for healing. You can be seated. One instance of spiritual authority that you can function in. I'm over time. Out of time, but not out of word. <laughs> Anybody want to know how to know God's will? Anybody want to know how to live free from the pull of this world? I was going to call you back, Thomas and the crew. I'm not going to. I think this is going to end in a little bit of silent prayer. Four things I'll drop, drop to you, toss to you. We've already talked about them, but just to make sure we've got it. Man, if you feel like your life, you, you, you're conforming too much to the ways of the world, you feel like, I know the Spirit is like convicting me. I shouldn't. 
been needing to not do that. My life looks a little bit too much like it's not supposed to. And I want it to change. Maybe you, you've kind of been like tolerating some stuff in your life where you've been like, that's not a big deal, that's not a big deal, that's not a big deal, that's not a big deal. Sooner or later, you take the not a big deals and add them up and they become a big deal. Then what do you do when everything blows up? You call the pastor. Pray for me. My life's a mess. What's been going on? Well, the last year, church, we've got to start paying attention to our life. And we just can't allow certain things to happen, to function. Knowing God's will and being free from the pull of the world, one, trust Jesus first and foremost. Trust him for not only your salvation, but trust that he and all that he wants to do in your life, even when you don't know what he's trying to do. Trust that he's going to work it out. Because when you trust that he's going to work it out, that means you're going to trust your life into his hands and you're going to stay letting him work it out. Number two, be patient with the process to let God work in you. Be patient with the process to let God work in you. Please, if there's anybody in a hurry, I'm in a hurry. I like to get from point A to point B as quick as I can. But we have got to learn to not be patterning our life after the world that says go this fast, be here. Pile your life up with so many things you can't handle and you'll be happy. No, the world's not happy. We've got to be patient with the process to let God work in us. Number three, look to Jesus and keep looking to Jesus. No matter what, don't let your eyes get blinded from seeing and looking to the one whose eyes are like fire and whose feet are like shining bronze. He wants, he puts himself out there. You can see me. I'm here. And number four, keep using your spiritual keys of authority. Here's what happens with that. He wants us to have these keys. He wants us to function in these keys. He wants us to operate in this power. But oftentimes we get too tired, too overwhelmed sometimes to even care that we just don't even pray. We just don't even worry about it in the sense of I'm not going to function. What good is having a house key to your house that's locked and you don't ever use it to go in where you got all the amenities of stuff you like things of comfort things of warmth but if you don't ever go in you can never utilize and avail yourself to what's waiting on you same with the spiritual keys of heaven what good is possessing a key if you don't use it God wants you to go on in and unlock heaven, and unlock power, and unlock what he has waiting for you. Please don't tolerate the wrong things in your life. 
Don't tolerate the wrong things in your life. Don't tolerate yourself not praying. Don't tolerate yourself not calling on God. Don't tolerate yourself and the problems that happen and then try to blame them on everybody else. Stop that by using the keys of your kingdom, the kingdom of God. Put yourself in action. Amen? Let's bow our heads. I think one of the best ways we can end today is for me to be quiet. just think for a minute in this awkward place of silence where you're you feel terribly at unease as everyone's head is bowed and everyone's eyes are closed and I just want us to take one minute and think about today and think about where your life is And then just say yes to the Lord and let him start to change stuff. Let him start, let him loose and let him have at it in your life, in your pain, in your predicament, in your place of life. Father God, settle our spirits, set our life where it's chaos. Bring peace into some of the storms of our life. Loose joy where there has been a season of mourning. Restore relationships that have been broken. Restore trust between people where there has been jaded perception and we have bought into deception in our own lives. Bring forgiveness to us as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lord, we offer our life to you as Paul tells us here in Romans 12. 
to be a living sacrifice. And we know you get it. We're not perfect. We don't always have it together. But if you wrote a letter to a church that says don't compromise and don't tolerate, then we need to pay attention. Lord, where we have compromised and tolerated the wrong things, we give you ourself right now. We want your good and pleasing and perfect will and purpose to work out in our life. Because, Lord, we if we're in charge, we're going to make a mess of it. We think we're going to fix it. We think we're going to make it better, but we're really just going to jack it up. So come to our aid, come to our rescue, come to our life. We look to you, and we see you, and we want to be known for you. We want to be known for you. We thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace now. Pour out love. Pour out, lavish us right now in your loving kindness. Lavish us. Let us... Let us be reminded, someone here today, you don't feel loved. You don't feel valued. The Lord wants to tell you, you are loved. You are significant. You matter. You matter. Make it count for all of us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.